Hi everyone and welcome to this IndyCar preview special of The Monkey Seat. My name is Tom. And I'm Carl and today's bonus episode comes from three different countries and includes special guest star, IndyCar driver, Stefan Wilson. This podcast is produced by Mine Productions and presented by two opinionated friends and one IndyCar driver who likes to put the world to rights. As always, feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MonkeySeatPod. You can email us at monkeyseatpodcast at gmail.com. And we're still at monkeyseatpod.com. Fantastic. It's so, a race weekend. I know, I'm really confused by this. I, I feel like we're doing a new show that has had no motorsport whatsoever. I, it's going to be strange to talk about motorsport yeah. of actual races. I mean, we've been discussing as to how strange that's going to be and, and how we're going to work it and what the discussions are as to whether we're going to analyse the races, which we're not. We're, we're not going to be those, but we are going to be spoiler alerters, aren't we? Yeah, I think it's. I think what well, because we're we're trying to cover the whole broad spectrum of of all motorsport, all top line motorsport. So to go um, have do like a two hour review of a race, I, I don't think that's going to be us. I think we're more going to be kind of a 15, 20 minute. Here's the key points. Here's what happened. This is what we think is going to happen in the championship. <laughs> yeah, we might. We're thinking about doing a dick of the day feature. So uh, who's who's the biggest <laughs> dick? Of, who's the biggest dick of the day uh, as opposed to driver of the day? Um, oh, why is Alonso not in it anymore? Oh, it'll have to be Hamilton every day. You'll always pick Hamilton as a dick of a day, and I'll always pick Ferrari's dick of a day. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how good this feature is going to be. Looking to cover race reviews uh, for Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula 1, IndyCar, um, and if something else really grabs our attention, we might do ad hoc ones as well. Um, as always... I will get I will get some motor, um, we'll get some two-wheelers into... That's into fine. your world as well. That's my aim. I'm going to make you watch some few. I'm going to make you watch some two wheelers. That's fine. And uh, as always, if you want to get in contact with us, if you um, think we should be covering something, um, get in touch with us and let us know what we should cover and why, and then we'll see if we can squeeze it in. Uh, we don't want as the I podcast said, to be like three or four hours long. We'd like to keep them down to an hour to an hour and a half maximum, really. So that's why we want mm, to. Uh... I still want to follow lawnmower racing. I've got to find out. Okay, I'm not going to cover lawnmower racing. I'm going to... (laughs) This is me drawing a line in the grass. No lawnmower racing. No, no. No, but if... Well, you can cut a line in the grass with lawnmowers. Yeah. But you need... I think... If if, if the people demand it, we will do it. Okay, so... Hashtag lawnmowers, yeah? Hashtag lawnmowers. At Monkey Pod, hashtag lawnmower. Right. So, no. should we get on to today? We um, uh, it's a it's a race weekend, and we've got the IndyCar uh, Genesis 300 uh, at the weekend at stupid o'clock for us, at normal o'clock for everyone on the other side of the pond. Um, Which I do find it interesting about Indy that it is on at 8 p.m. at night in the Pacific time, as opposed to 8 p.m. in the morning. No, no, eight, no, all right, 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. Um, I, I like for would Formula One do better to be on later at night, and that's an interesting thing. And I, I know this is Indy, but I, what I'm saying about Indy is it's such a, it's almost better because it is an e- evening show. It's an evening spectacular to watch that instead of watching Britain's Got Bloody Talent or whatever else crap that appears. I'd love to see evening races in the uk i mean we do get occasional ones. well yeah we do like um the american races for us are on in the evening um canada mm-hmm. america texas uh, brazil was quite late in the afternoon evening um and then we have the night races um 
in Singapore yeah. is on late afternoon. Uh, and then we have the early morning races, which are on normal time in Japan and Australia, uh, those, those types of areas. But I think a lot of it is down to climate as well. If you've got evening races, then it's a, a lot of it is down to the climate because you can't have evening races here because the temperatures would be all wrong for uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. The temperatures wouldn't be right. It's you know it's very much a um, you know a kind of a top of the northern or bottom of the yeah. southern hemisphere type thing. Um, I do find it rather interesting. I like I, li I like that spectacle of going to an evening race. Oh, night races will be would be fantastic. I mean, I don't think we would. Um, in Europe, it's quite quite an expensive task for very little reward, considering mm -hmm. that tradition has always been, you know, one o'clock start for Europe. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Europe. We're here to talk about IndyCar. So a um, right. li little bit of news before the Genesis 300 this weekend is that um, uh, Carlin are dropping a car. Um, Felipe Nazar is not going to be racing. They're just going to be mm -hmm. running. Yeah, every time he gets me. Not Felipe Massa. No, Felipe, Felipe Nasa. Yes, yes, they've got very similar sounding names. We know. Although <laughs> Stefan, uh, yeah, Stefan uh, talks about. Oh no, we're, are we allowed to say this? Actually, yes. Well, we we interviewed Stefan Wilson yesterday, um, and uh, that's going to be going up. That that was that was Wednesday or was it Wednesday? Yeah, yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. Thursday. I don't know. My head hurts. It's just like we're we're kind of like jumping around. We need a flux capacitor here. Um, yeah, I I still love that. Um, the name of that racer. What's the racer? I can't think of his name now. Willpower. Willpower. I want to be Spo Willpower. Spoiler alert: Carl loves the name Willpower. So yeah, hey, um, I'm going to follow. Is he still racing Willpower? Yes, I he is. Willpower. I'm following Willpower. Willpower is my. Anyway, we'll talk about bets in a minute. Cause yeah. Uh, after the after the interview, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, we we spoke at length uh, with Stefan, which you're going to be hearing very soon. Um, and it was really good insight. Carl knew virtually nothing about IndyCar and now he knows something about IndyCar and I know a little bit more than I knew before um, but still Will Power, still still not a vast amount so I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to learning a lot more next week as well um, but anyway actually I learned one hell of a lot and, and actually I knew nothing about IndyCar and actually it's it's made me quite excited to now watch it mm. yeah um, no, it's, I, I was going to watch it anyway but I'm, I'm looking forward to actually um to actually experiencing it now with a slightly different viewpoint yeah. understanding what spotters are is uh, is uh, is quite good yeah that. so um, yeah so connor daly is going to be the only representative for the carlin team this weekend um it's down to financial reasons due to the ongoing global situation um so that's just going to be the one car for carlin um so connor daly being the only representative for them in the uh, in the race this weekend which is a shame for him but is there any other changes um, um, that we know of? The for safety reasons, because the um, because Firestone are bringing new tire, well, they're supposed to be bringing new tires to this race because of the increased weight of the cars and the new centre of gravity due to the aero screen. Um, it's um, they were going to bring a different type of tire compound, but uh, they haven't had the chance to test them because of the situation. So they're bringing the same tires as last year, but they are um, putting a thirty-five lap limit for the tyres so you cannot do more than 35 laps on tyres uh, normally they would do between 60 and 65 um, but due to the uh, I mean, due to more safety that's interesting that you have to be in 35 laps I mean I know you have to degrade on other formulas of the tyres as it goes down but I think it would be interesting if you suddenly put in 
to any of these. And I wonder if it's something that will almost stay this 35 laps. It'd be more interesting bringing people into the pits and changing round. Yeah, so it's uh, 200 laps, so it's a shortened it's a shortened uh, overall distance for safety reasons because the last thing you'd want is for to have rear tire blowouts and for cars to go backwards into the wall at 200 miles an hour. That's uh, um, that's that's not what we're here to watch. You know, everyone enjoys watching a good crash every now and then. You know, but uh, we don't want to see people yeah. um, just becoming passengers yeah. and it being a lottery of of cars just going into walls at 200 miles an hour because it's it's um, it's not. Uh, it's not what we're here for. Um, Scott Dixon's unhappy about it because um, he thinks they've heard too so, too far on the side of caution. But I I think with this, it's such. Where is that line? I mean, too far on the side of caution. What a yeah. stupid uh, thing to say. I mean, it's it's too. Um, it's a completely unique situation, and I think you have to err on the side of caution because um, it's not worth it. You know, it's. I mean, you, you just got to look at um, when Formula One was at Indianapolis back in 2005 and Michelin got the tyre compounds wrong and going through the banking the tyres were exploding and then in the end they um, every Michelin runner pulled out of the race on safety grounds and you don't want something like that because that killed racing in America for a good seven eight years um, they just mm. um, it just absolutely killed it so um, you I mean I know obviously you're not going to lose the whole series but it might you know it might seriously have a big detriment on on IndyCar, so um, I think it's it's the right thing to do. Um, if Scott Dixon doesn't like it, he can he can always push the tyres too far and see what happens. But um, you know, um, he probably get. Well, you can't. You'll probably yeah. be excluded. Yeah. Right? Well, that's the thing. He'll probably be excluded for it. But you know, it'd be quite. Um, obviously, you don't want to see anyone get hurt. But it would be quite um, amusing if his uh, if his tyres were to blow out and he'd only done thirty three laps or something. You know, but. Again, anyway, not... I'm sounding like I know far too much about IndyCar because no. I've listened to the Stefan <laughs> and spoken to Stefan. So I think we should get the Stefan meeting in now. That's yeah, that sounds like good, good idea. Um, so, um, so yeah, well, this is just going to be an incredibly smooth jump cut. You're not even going to notice that we're just going to be uh, sliding into an interview uh, with with Stefan. So um, I really hope you enjoy it and. See you on the other side. Okay, so um, thank you for coming on, Stefan. Really appreciate it. Um, h- how are you? How's things? Yeah, doing well, thank you. Yeah, I know just, uh, you know, stateside right now, you know, living in Denver, Colorado, and, uh, you yeah, know, great to be uh, chatting with you today. Fantastic. Um, all excited to get things going? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I'm, I'm uh, obviously, it's been a big sort of hiatus here with uh, everything going on, and i um, excited to sort of get back uh you know, back to the track. Um, I won't be racing uh, right now in the IndyCar series, but, uh, you know, definitely excited to get back to the track in, in a coaching capacity and, and working with drivers. And um, and then, you know, still still shooting to be uh, at the, the 104th Indy 500 that's uh, coming up here in August. So working away on trying to be on the grid for that. But, you know, it's kind of uh, how motor racing is, you know, it's, nothing's, uh, nothing's yeah. definite until it's definite, you know. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned about um, about doing some coaching. Uh, what does that involve? Yeah. So, you know, all, as many drivers, you know, um, you know, when, when we have some downtime and we have uh, when we're not racing in a car ourselves, then, you know, it's an opportunity for us to uh, to, to work with other drivers and and, uh, and help other drivers progress in, in their own career. stuff. So, uh, yeah, whether that's coaching in the road to Indy, 
or coaching um, drivers that, that just want to enjoy racing um, but want to know how to do it uh, in, a, in a safer manner than, uh, you know, whether that's track days or whether it's Ferrari Challenge race events, then, you know, I, I keep myself busy when I'm not in the car myself uh, by doing that. Now, a, a little birdie tells me, um, a little birdie by the name of Darren tells me that you, um, you do some, often do some spotting for other drivers. Um, what, does, what does that involve? Yeah, so um, for those not familiar with IndyCar, you know, uh, we're, you know, looks like we're just turning left uh, a couple of times a lap. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that's what I think. I mean, that's just as bad, but so, <laughs> that's called worse, but there is a few it, It's usually done at high speeds and, um, you know, at Indy, their average lap speed is, is over 220 miles an hour. And when you get 30 guys, um, all doing the similar speed, it turns into just like a big swarm of cars, and, and you can't rely on the on the on the mirrors alone at those kind of speeds. It's just happening so quickly. So you have what's called spotters on the outside of the track. You know, you, typically at Indy they're placed in turn one and then also placed in turn three, and, and we're sort of uh, an extra pair of eyes for those uh, for those drivers. So I, I have done a bit of spotting, uh, not recently. It was more when I was in sort of Indy lights. Um, several years ago, um, I actually, uh, you know, did it to, you know, just um, earn a bit of money on the side, you know, so I spotted for a, a couple of the IndyCar guys. Um, I, I never actually wanted to spot, for, I never actually wanted to spot for anyone at the Indy 500 um, because I didn't want to spot against, uh, spot for a driver that was going up against my brother. So um, I never spotted for anyone at Indy until 2015. Uh, and then Justin asked me last minute, he said, Hey, one of my spotters is, um, is can't make it or something's happened to him. Can you fill in for me? So that was, uh, that was kind of cool actually to be able to spot for I him. I bet that would have been. Yeah. yeah so, um, neat. so are you, are you linked to their cockpits by radio then? Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. We're just on the team channel for radio and we're, we're just giving them, giving them information ah. about who's around them, you know, if there is a car alongside them, you know, because there's a lot of blind spots, you know, especially, uh, you know, in the indie cars these days, there's just, you know, on the, all the aero pieces, um, the mirrors aren't perfect, you know, so there's a lot of blind spots and, and it just makes sure that I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it on the live feed where um, they, they're saying, uh, I, I hear the voices coming over saying, oh, go low or go high. Or I assume that was the, um, I assume that was the engineers back at the garage watching screens. So there's actually people in the, in the audience and the crowd doing that. Yeah, yeah. They have uh, sort of special dedicated spotter stands um, that are sort of above the grandstands. You might even see them on TV sometimes. Um, you'll definitely hear them, like you said, Tom, uh, you, know, you know, saying inside, outside. And then as a driver, the last thing you want to hear is, free wide you're in the middle <laughs> that is, uh, that's not a good place to be i imagine that that must be pretty scary and those, sure. as you say those mirrors are probably pretty much useless at those speeds i mean is that is that only for indycar or does that happen on other race do you know other races you know it typically it's um it's an indycar nascar um nascar thing you know it, it's mostly for ovals you know but at the same time you know uh, on, on certain road courses, uh, for particularly at turn one, um, there's there's plenty of times where a, spot, a spotter has been called in, you know, just to, to stand there at turn one and be an extra pair of eyes. You know, as a driver, if you're starting back in 20th place and you're heading, you're barreling into turn one and it's a hairpin like, say, like uh, Circuit of the Americas, you know, it's a very tight hairpin. 
you know, the speeds go, you know, from high to low very quickly. There's a good chance of a collision. It's nice to have another set of eyes looking ahead and, you know, sort of help directing you through there. As a driver, you want all the information you can get. So, you know, for that sort of instance, um, I've seen that happen before. So, yeah, but it, typically it's more of an oval, an oval racing thing. So who spots for you when um, when you're racing? Um, I I have a couple of guys um, that you know, and, and it kind of changes uh, each year. Um, so you know, they're they're uh, you know they they switch out um, depending on the the team that you're you're racing with. Awesome. So um, go back to the um, to the very beginning then. So um, um, when you when you first started out on this journey, what where did where did the buzz come from? What what got you excited about racing in the early years? Well, really, it, it starts with uh, my my dad. You know, he uh, he raced in Formula Fords back in the '60s, and you know, the passion really for for our family really begins with him. Um, you know, he just loved racing, loved cars had a garage and was just uh, really into it and um, you know even raced against guys like James Hunt um, for the oh, poly wow. there's basically you know sort of like, sort of amateur Formula Ford um, but you know I think his proudest uh, proud, proudest moment in racing he's he's got a picture of himself on the front row at Alton Park in a Formula Ford and on the outside is James Hunt so uh, oh, wow. you know um, he, he had a bad accident so he um, his career ended, but you know, uh, growing up, growing up as as kids, myself and and Justin would sit down and watch uh, watch the Grand Prix on Sunday with him, and and that's what sort of got it started for both of us. You know, Justin began in karts when he was eight years old, and then I grew up around the track, the go kart tracks with him. And when I was nine, I pestered my dad long enough and and got in a go kart myself. So, um, what was it like in in the early years? Did you did you race against any household names in the UK? Uh, yeah. Um, so, not uh, not particularly like F one guys, but um, guys that I guess really stand out um, would be Alexander Sims, uh, mm-hmm. who's Formula E right now. Yeah. Oliver Rowland, and I raced. I was probably a couple years older than him, so we we were at the go kart track together, but he was. Um, he was a couple of he was in cadets when I was in uh, the next uh, level up, um, next category up, and then um, trying to think of someone else. Um, Martin Plowman again, another uh, big name, but uh, you know in sports cars and and uh, and he raced in IndyCar as well. So yeah, th- those are the, the couple that spring off the top of my head. Um, but yeah. Oh, fantastic! So you got a um, you got a McLaren test, um, didn't you? At one point, how did that come about? Yeah, so that really started. That really happened because um, I won the 2007 McLaren Autosport Award. Um, so okay. as as a part of the prize for that, it was a, a McLaren F1 test. So uh, I got to complete that test at a very wet and rainy, cold Silverstone. Um, in, as it always is it was like late November maybe even early December I can't remember and uh, like I think it was like one or two degrees above freezing and I was like I think I was 19 years old and it was the year when it was it was I think it was the chassis that uh, Hamilton won the world championship with in 2008 so no traction control oh, okay. and, I, and the, the engineers were like this is probably the worst conditions that anyone's driven a modern era Formula One car in because on a typical test, we just 
wouldn't you we wouldn't run the car right now <laughs> so um i was going to say that must be pretty much a baptism of um well a baptism of ice really as opposed yeah. to baptism of fire yeah i was like oh cool like that's great great to know <laughs> <laughs> i was so like i was uh i was pretty nervous uh getting out there but the car was just incredible and never felt you know the amount of i, I was prepared for the g-forces in the corners and the g-forces under braking and i just I kind of overlooked the G-forces under acceleration. I thought it's just accelerating, like, you know, your head's up against the, the headrest. I mean, how, how bad can that be? And yeah. I was blown away. Just the acceleration was like nothing I've ever felt in, in my life. And it just got buckets of downforce, that car as well, hasn't it? Because that was just before they reset the aero regs. So it, was, You're right. it must have been pre- pretty hairy through the corners. Yeah, yeah. Um, not, so much, not so much grip when you, uh, you aquaplaned uh, on the National Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's I was wheel spinning so really... really... fifth gear. And... Don't do aquaplaning. <laughs> I managed to flip a car over by aquaplaning. <laughs> so, not good. I, I, my normal everyday car as opposed to... Uh, <laughs> god knows god knows well i'm not the best driver oh dear okay so was there ever any um further interest with mclaren after that or was it um was it just the one test and that was it it, it was just the one test um we, we oh, sort of stayed in touch and, and and everything but um you know it was sort of apparent like i won the mclaren Auto sport in order sport award in 2007 and i look back and i'm like i probably won it probably in one of the worst years ever because you know, December 2007 was sort of right around the financial uh, crisis of, you know, the yeah. late 2008. And, you know, it just, everything sort of came to a halt financially. And mm. my my career was, you know, at that point, really needing some momentum to, to keep it going. And in, in Europe, there was just no, there was no avenues to take. So that kind of drove me stateside and, um, so I, that, that I was the re- that was the reason that you um you made the move across was it because of the um just the lack of money in Europe? Yeah, yeah. The the path forward was just that there was no clear path. You know, there was no there was no real support for young drivers, um, and there was no yeah, there was just no path. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't know how to raise the money to go and and continue racing in in Formula Three, and then when you move up to GP two, it's even more more funding needed so i looked to the states and saw the success that justin had over there and, and felt like that was going to be uh, give me more of an opportunity to, to you know go race and, and climb the ladder so you know that that was a, a you know difficult decision because i um having won the autosport award in 2007 i was you know um excited to see what i could do in europe but never never materialized so what's the, um, having made the jump across then, what's the difference in, in racing culture uh, on stateside to, uh, to over in, in Europe? Um, it's, it's a little bit more, how's, how, what's the word to use? I'd say like raw, you know, it's a bit more, um, it's a lot more about the racing, a little bit less politics, although there is politics. Um, and, and it's a bit more sort of relaxed. And I'd say relaxed, I'm not going to say like it, it's... Uh, it's like relaxed competitively wise. It's more like from a fan perspective, you know, mm-hmm. in Formula One, you're so, as a fan, you're so uh, restricted on where you can go and what you can do at the racetrack. Um, and, you know, even as 
as a brother to one of the drivers in 2003 when Justin was racing for, for Minardi and Jaguar, I, I would go to a race and I would, wouldn't even be able to go in the paddock area. I wouldn't be able to go see him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see him until Sunday night after the race. And, uh, so, and I can't imagine what it's like as a fan. You know, you just, you're so uh, cut off from, from the sport. Whereas yeah. compared to that, compare that to uh, IndyCar or just racing in general in America, the fan end just has way more access. I mean, I'm talking to, talking to fans, signing autographs and taking pictures with them 15, 20 minutes before the Indy 500, you know, like it's, mm, uh, wow, yeah. it's, a uh, it, it, you know, it, from that perspective, you know, we appreciate the fans and without the fans, then we wouldn't have a sport. Um, and I think, um, from, from that perspective, it, it's much better in the States because, you know, we get to interact with them and, you know, uh, and show our appreciation, if that makes sense. So how, how do the fans differ in America? Um, they're just, they're, I mean, they don't really differ really to me, in my, in my opinion. I mean, Are they more passionate or just, 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 just different, different culture, just a little bit different culture. You know, they, they're, they're there to, to enjoy a motor race, just like fans are in the, in the UK and Europe. You know, I think there's less, um, in Europe it, it's, um, maybe particularly in Formula One, I guess it's, it's more brand association you know you you see the tifosi and um you know the you know the really uh passionate about their manufacturer brand whereas in america it's more about the drivers so they're more passionate about a particular driver than than uh than they are a manufacturer or that, team. that's one thing i've noticed from watching american motorsport it does seem to be a lot less about the teams because like um i know from from watching my limited amount of indycar i have watched uh, like you see like um i have no idea who alexander rossi races for and he's probably my favorite driver in indycar and until now obviously until you um but um <laughs> but he's uh, like his car it doesn't look like anyone else's and you look at mo- motorsport in the uk and europe and and you have to have the two cars that are identical apart from the driver um so to actually differentiate between teammates is a lot harder and I guess that would make sense if, if the fans are following the driver rather than the team. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, you'll see four cars from the same team and every single one of them is different, you know, so in, in terms of branding and livery. So, yeah, no, they, it's uh, each, each entry is individual and, you know, the team, the, um, the team sort of umbrellas the entry, but then, you know, each entry has to have its own set of sponsors typically uh the only sort of um the only team that doesn't follow that norm is is probably the the schmidt peterson uh or arrow mclaren schmidt peterson team um now which is both has the same same uh branding on both cars so you're about to recognize that as as it should be, as I'm a McLaren <laughs> fan, so. I mean, I've not seen the word spam written across the side. Of yeah, the I wish there'd been uh, Schmidt, Peterson, Arrow, and McLaren, because it would have been Team Spam. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great, a great sponsorship opportunity for Spam. Oh, without a doubt, definitely. I don't even even know if they still make Spam. I've not seen them in shops <laughs> for a sure, long time. I'm sure they do. So. Um, obviously you went across to the states and you were racing in indy lights for a few years um how much of a step up is it from indy lights to indycar and is it a um a true kind of feeder series yeah yeah 100 percent. i was just gonna say it, it's uh it it's exactly like gp2 or f2 is is to f1 you know it, it the idea is 
there's a set ladder all the way leading from um, F4 or USF 2000 up to you know Pro Mazda and then up to Indy Lights and then up to IndyCar. So it's a, a natural ladder, the road to Indy, um, which is, is good for young, young drivers. You know, it, it's, um, it's a clear it, it's line sort of sight. Yeah, it's a clear line of sight. Mm. Um, the, the Indy Lights cars, you know, for example, um, probably about two to three seconds a lap slower than the Indy cars. And then okay. around Indianapolis, you know, they, they race the, uh, the oval. Um, their race is only 100 miles. Um, and the, they're doing speeds around 195, 196 versus 225. Still not too shabby, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, that, that 30 miles an hour, it, it doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, once you get over 200 every mile an hour above that, it, it, it's like the, uh, it escalates, you know, really quickly. So do a lot of drivers come through Indy Lights into IndyCar then? Is, does, it, does it work as a feeder series? Yeah, yeah, it does work. Um, you know, I think probably around 50% of the grid is graduates of Indy Lights. So that's pretty impressive, um, you know, stats for Indy Lights. But, um, you know, it's still, uh, it's still really difficult. <laughs> yeah. So um, do you have the, the problem that we have over here quite a lot in uh, with the whole kind of pay driver thing? Um, well, I won't want to ask name names, obviously, but like, um, whereas you've got good young drivers coming through Indy Lights and then you've got, um, you know, Johnny Cashbags who just comes in and takes, takes your seat away. Do you have that problem over there as well? Yeah, yeah, I know. I think uh, that problem exists all over motorsports, you know, and, you know, it, it that's the same problem I sort of faced is... I finished third in the championship in Indy Lights in 2011 um, behind New Joseph Newgarden and Esteban Guerrieri. Um, and I actually had missed a race because I ran out of funding later in the year. So really should have finished, finished uh, second to, to Newgarden. Had a couple of wins too and you know, just didn't have the, the backing to, to advance, you know, so... Because um, you, it, you got won issue. the series last year, didn't he? Yeah, he's uh he's won it twice now. He's won two he won championships in IndyCar. So yeah, like uh, it's still an issue that, that many drivers face. It, it, even though the the ladder is structured, um, you know, it, it helps the the winners of the championship. But if you finish second, you, know, you might as well finish last. You know, you you don't get to advance, oh, and uh, you know, uh, you don't. Get is that the, cut tracking? Yeah, it's re it's really cut for it like that, but. Yeah. You know, it's better than what exists in Europe, I guess, you know, whereas there's no the ladder or scholarship set in place. It seems to be the opposite problem um, in in Europe in that you have the winner of uh, F2 can't compete in F2 the following year. He can't defend his championship. So if you can't get a drive in Formula One, oh, wow. he can't continue in f2 and then quite often drops off the radar it's like you had davide valsaki won the um won the uh what was in the gp2 championship couldn't get a drive in f1 and after two years of trying to get a drive he just retired and went into punditry huh. no i didn't i didn't actually realize that was a rule wow yeah and um and you, mad, you find that like stoffel van dorn and pierre gasly win win the junior series and couldn't get a drive in in f1 the next year and then they just had to sit sit out and just not do anything or go to super formula in japan or because they can't you know and they can't go to, to to f3 because that's just a massive step down yeah so yeah. it's kind of the opposite problem we have and again that's mostly down to down to funding i think yeah, no, it is across the board. I mean, the cost of motorsport is is escalated so much that it, it's made it difficult for, for drivers to compete, you know, and uh, 
it, it's uh, it's a equation that I don't really have an answer for on how you fix it, you know. No. You think with being a, a spec series that the you know, the finances wouldn't come into it so much, but obviously, uh, you know, it obviously still does. Yeah, yeah, it still does. Mm. So um, moving on then to the the Indy 500, the bigger one. Uh, what what was you've done that? Um, how many times have you raced the 500? Uh, I raced Indy twice. twice. So I raced in 2016 and 2018. How long does that take? Uh, it takes about three and a half hours. So wow. yeah, tip, you know, depending on the race, you know, if you get a lot of caution periods, then it's it's going to be about three and a half hours. I think the shortest one was probably two hours and fifty minutes. I think something like that. Um, and that's some concentration then for three hours of just, yeah. in theory, going around in circles. Or does it not feel like that? Um, yeah, does it feel like... The first 30 laps goes by really slow. And, um, you know, I remember being on lap 27, being like, wow, this feels like the whole rate, like this feels super long. And then you get through the first pit stop and it sort of, all starts to make sense then because after that first pit stop you're you're constantly thinking about strategy after that and you're the race is evolving and um you know sitting behind or sitting in the same pack of cars for for the first 30 laps and then it, it switches up and you can see how you've exited the the first pit stop you know whether you're ahead of that car, set pack of cars or if you drop back a little bit and you start really thinking okay out uh, what do I need to do to to move move my myself forward? I think it's it's, it's it seems to me a lot like um, cycle racing in that you know you kind of you don't want to be out front all the time because you have to work harder and you're just kind of drafting behind other cars and it's all kind of strategy and the only thing that really matters is the kind of last sort of thirty laps or so really that's the that's the view that I seem to get for it. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it, that's somewhat accurate. I think you know there there's a lot of strategy. You know, you're right. The last the last uh, 30 to 40 laps um, is what counts. You know, that last pit stop. Because a pit stop, uh, pit cycle is about 30 laps. Um, maybe 31 if you've saved a bit of fuel. If you've so that's quite front. a few stops in a, in a race then. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, you're looking at what is that, six, six stops. Um, so, you know, but at the same time, you have to work back from then and make sure you're in the, you're in the right spot for those last 30 or 40 laps, you know. So the lap once you get to lap 100 it really intensifies because now at that point you you uh you're in you're in uh you're in line you're in line of sight of, of the finish and at that point you're stri- you're trying to strategize to make sure that you know you're sort of in that lead pack for the, the last 30 40 laps so you know and then it, the last 30 laps really intensifies um trying to you know obviously uh, get the win you know there's no no real pride and there's a bit of prize money for P2, but you know the the real prize is is winning yeah. it. So, yeah. So it's um, like you say about strategy. Is that is that around fuel saving or is it just um, positioning on the track? Positioning on the track, you know, fuel saving is is part of that because you know if you can save a little bit of fuel, uh, you know, if, if you get stuck um, and you you can't advance your position on the track, you know, which sometimes happens. You know, there's a lot of um, particularly in the new the new cars you know since 2018 they don't draft as well because there's just a lot less downforce so you just have you know you have to lift more in the corners when you're behind a car and you don't get the the momentum building up so you know then it turns into a race of where okay i'm kind of stuck here in you know behind this this set of cars you know two or three cars 
if I could save a bit of fuel and you know have an extra lap, if they pit and I can get a clean lap in, then I can maybe leapfrog them for that next uh, next stint. Or maybe you save a bit of fuel, you stop at the same time as them, but now you have to fill uh, fill the tank with you know you have one less gallon to fill in the tank, so you, you can speed up your pit stop and maybe jump them in the pit. So you, you're kind of thinking about that kind of thing. At the same time, you're kind of doing the maths as well. Like, you know, uh, if I can stretch it out, you know, a little bit longer here and do two extra laps, and I can do the same on the next stint, then that's four laps that I'm going longer than than this set of cars. Maybe that puts me in a window to to make it to the finish on one less stop, you know, like, so, that, so it all sort of uh, comes into play. So are you having to work all that out yourself or are you being fed that by your engineers? Uh, we're, we're being fed that by the engineers, but even though, even still as drivers, we're, we're, we're still doing the math in our head. I remember 2018, you know, like every straightaway, I'm, I'm constantly think, you know, thinking like how, what do I need to do to make it to the end from here? And I'm working backwards from, you know, lap 200. Okay, like if I, if I can just make it to lap, x then i should be able to make this on on uh only two more stops and you know these guys that pitted a little bit earlier than me are gonna have to make an extra stop so you you constantly uh, even though we're being fed that information we're kind of still doing a bit of strategy in our head and and making sure that you know you know we're on the right strategy i guess not that i essentially the engineers have got all the information so we got to trust them regardless but we just want to throw in peace of mind uh, do a little bit of strategy as well. So um, in, you mentioned 2018. Um, I, I, I hate to mention it, but you were leading that at one point, weren't you? Quite close to the end, as I remember. Yeah, yeah. So what was, uh, what was that like? <laughs> it's incredible, you know. Um, it, you know, Indy and the Indy 500. What makes what makes IndyCar special to any you know driver is is the Indy 500. You know, the history behind that race. You know, going back all the way to 1911, the fact that it's been run over 100 times, you know, it's been going on for over 100 years. It's um, it's just a, a huge achievement. And, if, you know, similar to an achievement like climbing Mount Everest, you know, it's um, something that would would make your career and um, really just, you know, being in a position there late on. I think we, we took the lead on lap 193 and mm. on a restart I remember that and we led for four laps and we 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 were gambling at that time we were we pitted we uh, stayed out and didn't pit and we knew we were short on fuel and if there had been a yellow for a caution yeah if there was a yellow on lap 194 um or 195 then we would have won the race you know so mm. we we took a gamble with the strategy and um you know for a moment i thought wow <laughs> like <laughs> is this like you know all, all day i knew we had a fast car you know we we're running about 15 15 for 16th um but we we're always moving forward uh, and we we had a couple of bad pit stops you know my, my team was um kind of put together at the last minute so you know they weren't a well-oiled machine like uh the penske guys or or uh the rest of the Andretti crew, you know, they, they still do a great job, not taking anything away from them, but we just, you know, lost, uh, probably lost a second or so on each pit stop and a second at 200 miles an hour can be a handful of places, you know? So, 
Um, yeah. We kept moving forward in, in the stints, but then moving backwards in the pit stops and then moving forward. So it was always a, a constant battle each, uh, every step of the race. And I knew we were quick because uh, we actually, I actually passed the eventual winner, Will Power, to, to get my lap back, um, which actually was probably the highlight of the race for me to, to be able to mm-hmm. legitimately pass Will was, was, you know, I felt pretty impressive at what least. What a name. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just want to pass the name Will Power. I know, right? Wow. Um, so, so yeah, when I, when I took the lead and we started pulling away, I mean, I was just like, man, if it goes yellow here, then my dreams, uh, my dreams have come true. So it didn't happen, but it was a great experience and, um, you know, kind of, you know, capped off uh, a good a good month for me. Um, only the second mm-hmm. Indy 500, and and to be able to to kind of put in that kind of performance. So, you know, hoping uh, I hoping I get another shot at it, and you know, can uh, can can finish it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, did, so did you not finish at all in that race in the end? I remember you pitted. I don't remember where you finished. I did. Yeah, we pitted. Uh, we remained on the lead lap, and um, oh. we finished. Yeah. Uh, I think fifteenth. So. Exactly. You know, it was a, a gamble of a strategy. And, you yeah. know, I think had we not taken the gamble, I think we could have finished in the top 10. But, um, you know... Yeah. As you say, second is nowhere for the 500. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, we we, yeah. uh, we rolled the dice and, you know, put all our money on it, on trying to win. Yeah. Well, you had a whole nation cheering for you. I remember saying, I don't watch a lot of indie, but that... Um, that race i definitely did watch and uh i was definitely cheering for you on that one Thank but uh, unfortunately the uh yeah circumstances didn't quite work out so i mean it's not the only um the indianapolis 500 isn't the only 500 mile race is it i think there's a, there's a few others that that's the only one right now there used to be um two more there used to be a 500 mile race at auto club speedway which is out in california and then an, another 500 mile race at pocono but um they they have both dropped off the calendar so uh Indy's the only one right now. Right. How's what makes Indy so special to the other events? I think just the history, you know, kind of touched on it already, but the the long history of that race and the traditions and um, the tr- traditions that have stayed true, you know, right from the beginning. You know, the uh, everything is it, it's just it's such a big event um, for the for the whole state, for the whole country, and for the series. You know, so. Um, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of, of IndyCar racing. And, you know, obviously Fernando came over a couple of years ago and clearly enjoyed himself. And yes, I think, uh-huh. in my opinion, it's, it's the biggest race in the world. There's nothing that compares. Mm. I mean, yeah, amazing. Well, it leads us nicely on to the, the new season, which starts this weekend. Um, so um, given that you're an expert on this, if you could teach my um, my co-host here, Carl, about IndyCar, I'd really appreciate it. So I'm going to hand you over to Carl to uh, to uh, to ask some ask some questions about IndyCar. I literally have no idea about IndyCar. So from my understanding, it's a race that's primarily on oval tracks, or is that not right now? Or so uh, no, it, it's uh, you know IndyCar racing started on the ovals, um, or it is is famous for the, for, for the oval racing, you know, uh, obviously yeah. the tradition being Indy 500, Indy car, um, et cetera. But, um, you know, that's a bit of an inaccurate statement to say that it's, it's only ovals, you know, I think what makes Indy car special is the fact that we have so many different disciplines, uh, that is sort of umbrellaed by the series. You know, we have the short ovals, which are ovals that 
or a mile a mile or less in length. You know, we have like Milwaukee Mile, which we don't race at anymore, but uh, Iowa Speedway, Richmond, you know, they're an eighth of a mile. So they're pretty small, high banks wow. and um, high speeds. I mean, we're doing like 160, 180 miles an hour around there. Um, so that's, they're, they're pretty intense. And then you've got the super speedways like uh, Indianapolis and um, Auto Club Speedway, you know, Michigan's one as well. Um, then we have the so mile. So I suppose from a audience point of view, that's so much better to see the whole race as it's happening. You know, because you, in a lot of these tracks, you know, that longer, you don't see the whole race from all sides. You see it just going past you on that certain corner from a punter point of view being on on location there. Um, and it gives you a bit more of a overview. Oh, it? yeah. Yeah, no, you, you're like, uh, it's like you're sitting in a stadium, you know, so you get to see the whole Does whole that track. feel different from a driver point of view? Sorry, what's that? Sorry. Does that feel very different when you're on the oval tracks to when you're on the actual street car, street race tracks? Oh, oh yeah. Do you feel Mass- the audience Massively really... different. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, the G-forces are pretty high uh, on the on the short ovals, you know, because mm-hmm. probably the, one of the most physical races I've ever done was Iowa Speedway, you know? Like, it, uh, you're, like there is no rest. You're, the, the, the straightaways are, like, very short <laughs> and yeah. you're in the banking in the in the turns for for a long period of time and it's like 300 laps so you know Jesus. by the end of it your arms are yeah. falling off pretty much and you <laughs> and you're not to mention you get out the car <laughs> and you're still doing circles you know so uh, it's pretty physical um but then you know on top of those disciplines you know we've got the the road permanent road courses like watkins Glen, road america which are absolutely fantastic racetracks you know, very, very much sort of takes you back um, in time a little bit. You know, there's no massive runoff areas or, you know, um, yeah. nice, you know, uh, you know, crash barriers. It's yeah. still got the, the metal guardrail right up against the fence, you know. Oh, so wow. safety-wise, you yeah, know, not, not to the same standards there there are in Europe, but the track is, is just special, you know, and um, just an incredible, incredible track that we get to race at. And then at the same time, we have the street courses. Again, not like... Uh, you know the the formula one races that are on street courses now you know they're essentially the billiard table smooth you know very very smooth circuits when we go to long beach i mean we're hopping manhole covers you know so it's uh it gets pretty (laughs) pretty interesting um and um you know and is another element uh to how the the differences between indycar and, and formula one so uh yeah um, what's your what's your favorite track then do you prefer the ovals do you prefer the street track do you have a certain track that is your track that you love i'm guessing the indianapolis 500 would be one of them purely on the history but is there any others that you really think that as a casual watcher that's never watched any of them that i should really be pinpointing and, and watching for sure um so indy indy's one of those races that you watch on tv it's cool but if you visited and actually came and, and witnessed the race at Indy at the Indy 500, um, it would uh, it it would blow your mind. Like it would really change, you know, anyone's opinion on on IndyCar racing. The when you go into on uh, into the track on race day, um, you know those those grandstands are all empty, and over the next two hours you feel, see them fill up, and every single seat is filled. You know, there's over 350,000 people 
in one in one venue and um the atmosphere is just absolutely incredible so de definitely would recommend if you're going to go and see one race you know if you can get over go and watch go and attend the indy 500 and um you know it might just change your opinion and make you a, a big indy car fan but outside of that my my favorite tracks um would be toronto um that's a it's a street course in in downtown on the downtown toronto streets and um I went there in Indy Lights, and it's just one of those tracks that I go to, and I'm just always very confident with, you know, and know that I can and perform well. Uh, Mid Ohio is a great one, Watkins Glen, and then I think the the jewel on the calendar outside of the Indy 500 is probably uh, at Long Beach, you know, the Long Beach Grand Prix. So much history of that tra track as well. I think uh, we're over 40 40 races there, so it's a 40th anniversary or so. Something like that for the for the Long Beach Grand Prix. Okay, I think we seem to have lost Carl. He's he's dropped out of the meeting. Um, so um, <laughs> quite a technical problem there. Not sure what's <laughs> happened, but I'll 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 carry on in in Carl's absence. Um, nice. So how does um, um, how does the weekend structure differ in um, um, to the US as opposed to the UK? You know the the weekend structure is pretty similar. You know we. Uh, we have pra open practice on Friday, so we have a couple of practice sessions on Friday, um, another practice on Saturday morning, then qualifying. And probably the only difference is a warm up on Sunday. We have typically have a ten or fifteen minute warm up session on on Sunday morning, and then uh, and then the race. Um, albeit, you know, when you go to the ovals, you know, it, it's not going to be group group qualifying. It's going to be single lap qualifying, so single car, single lap qualifying. Um, and that's probably the biggest difference. Um, and then obviously at the Indy 500, that whole event is just, um, is, is in a whole is, is much different. You know, we, we have a whole week of on-track practice. Um, you know, I think it starts on Tuesday typically, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday and Sunday are both qualifying days. So again, it's single car qualifying. And, um, you know, they'll run through the whole line. Other people get to go again and try and bump their way in which you saw last year. Um, and then, and then they have a whole week until the next, until the race there. So that's probably the biggest difference is, is it lies with the oval and then the event at uh, the Indy 500. Okay. Well, Carl's back now, so that's good. Sorry I just asked, um, I just asked Stefan what the difference uh, between um, weekend structures is in IndyCar oh, yeah, compared, to, yeah. compared to Europe. Um, so yeah, back um, over to you. And, and then, so uh, what's the difference between the cars then in, uh, between an F1 car and an Indy car? They look, from a idiot's point of view, quite similar. Are they similar to drive? Obviously, I know you've driven the McLaren and you said that the, the speeds, the, the, the speeds and the throttle are a lot, the g-forces are a lot higher in F1. Is there much is there else much that's different, else or are they completely like driving a Land Rover and a Lambo? <laughs> um, yeah, they, you know, from um, you know a non-passionate fan, uh, you know, they they look really dissimilar. You know, you you could just say, yeah, there's two open wheel cars, you know, um, but mm -hmm. um, the differences really lie in. I'll start off by saying the difference lies with the budgets. You know, with the budget to run a two-car IndyCar team is probably anywhere from fifteen to twenty million pound uh, dollars, um, yeah. and then you compare that to um, you know even the smallest or uh, smallest F1 team or the 
team that has low, the smallest budget, Haas, and they're at 160 million dollars, you know, and and the the big boys like Mercedes and Ferrari are over 450 million. So you know that that sort of dictates a lot of the differences with the cars. You know, the the a lot of that lies in the the chassis development. Um, probably the the weight of the chassis in F1 is much more refined and much uh, much lower. The aerodynamics are much more advanced in Formula One as opposed to IndyCar. Um, and in IndyCar, you know, we've had the same uh, chassis since 2012. So this will be the ninth season running that same chassis. Of course, there's been upgrades along the way. We've changed the aero kits a couple of times. We've added the aero screen for, 20, uh, for 2020. So there's been upgrades to that same chassis. But, you know, in F1, they're, they're updating the chassis every year. They're changing the arrow at every, uh, pretty much every race, you know, and, and the just the the development is in and sort of innovation is probably you know much higher in, in Formula One than it is in IndyCar. Um, and then the other bigger difference is in the power units, um, probably a little bit more refined, lighter, and obviously the the hybrid technology that you have in Formula One uh, versus none of that in IndyCar. And you, you mentioned the aero screens, and me and Tom have been chatting about the uh, well, my hatred for the halo on the F1. And I believe the aero screen was going to go onto F. Well, it was an option for the F1. Have you driven a car with aero screen, and what do you think about it? So no, I haven't. I haven't driven uh, the latest car yet with the aero screen, so I can't really give you much feedback on on what it's like uh, to drive. But I have spoken to several of the drivers, and they said after a few laps, you know, you. you don't even, don't even realize it's there you know you look past the the divide and the halo um and you know other than needing to get a tear off pulled off at the pit stop you know that that's the the, the major difference uh, the, there is obviously the the heating element as well the the you're not getting as much airflow to the driver cockpit anymore so you know i think they're going to have to work on that as the season goes on especially when we get to Indian August and it's 95 degrees Fahrenheit you know we, we we used to like a lot of that airflow and now we're not getting that so they're coming up with ways to to you know find a solution for that but um in my opinion it, it's a huge advancement in safety um obviously it, it hits pretty close to home you know losing Justin the way we did in 2015 and um you know I'm just uh, if this if this can save a driver's life and prevent another family going through what sort I went through losing Justin, then I think it's, um, it, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it from an aesthetic standpoint. And, um, I think as, as fans, we, we should be able to embrace it and, and not worry about, uh, the aesthetics when we're talking about driver safety. I think me and Tom have always said, you know, the safety of all these cars matter. It shouldn't matter what the car looks like. But it looks cool side. anyway, doesn't it? But the aero screen does yeah. look cool. I'd buy the aero screen over the halo any day. Well, I love the um, fact that they, they've um, carried the, the color scheme and the design of the car onto the aero screen. You know, you might have seen it, you know, how the the, the body livery and the body color is, is sort of uh, edged on, on top. So I, I, I really like nice. that. And I think they've made, they've done a really good job of, of making it aesthetically pleasing. I think that as time goes on you know indycar is as makeshift this aero screen to fit the current chassis and went up against a lot of difficulties in doing so because 
you're bolding it to an existing design. You can't change the lines of the existing ex existing design of the chassis. But in a couple of years time, when they have a new chassis come out and you can incorporate that into the design concept, I, I think it's gonna look even better, you know? So excited to see what that looks like eventually. I was going to say you might be able to settle an argument that me and Carl had on the podcast on uh, on Tuesday. We were debating about the fact that with the aero screen being there, you Carl said that you would no longer need visors in your uh, in your helmets, and I said you would still have visors, but they would be clear. Um, can you settle an argument for us? Uh, Who's right? I don't know which one you said which, but I'd say from from my standpoint, I'm no way going to get in a car with no no visor. <laughs> there we go. See, I win. I don't know. This, it's <laughs> just. Uh, yeah, I don't think I, it would be like getting into a car without your shoes on or something, or you know, like. <laughs> See, it would the just... only the only thing was that I was talking about was the rally, uh, the WRC rally, and sorry, and touring cars and WRC rally. Neither of them had, um, neither of them have visors. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, guessing they've got a roll cage and everything, but we're sort of going that way with, really? with these cars now, and the actual requirement for a visor is probably purely out to the driver yeah I no I, you'd feel you'd that would feel really weird <laughs> <laughs> but may, maybe i don't know i mean i haven't driven it yet so i, I can't say what it uh, you know i think the, the concern would be the the airflow into the into the cockpit still and and that affecting your uh you know getting in your eyes essentially uh, or dirt just dirt flying in there you'd want to prevent that for sure mm. so as we've got an inside man who Oh my putting my money on what are the predictions obviously you can't say too much but what do you think for for this weekend or just the for championship this, in the, general well a, a for this weekend and b for the whole series as a whole who's who's the ones to watch who's the outside the rookie that i need to watch and you know who what's your prediction for the fight you know what's the final prediction for winning the series so i think the the two um outsiders that uh, rookies that i think will do really well this year are pato award and oliver askew you know they're i like this the, man i like this man a lot they're with mclaren um <laughs> yep. sp uh, mclaren sp but uh more importantly is is the engineer um they've got uh you know veteran engineer legendary race engineer uh, craig hampson um who was on board Ace Car the last couple of years? Just uh, an incredible engineer when it comes down to it, um, and he's joined that team, so that'll really boost them. Um, I think they'll be strong, and um, you know, I think the it's hard to bet against uh, you know uh, guys like Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, and Scott Dixon. You know, I think uh, I think they'll be strong too. So um, I'll keep an eye out for them. Sure bets on those those three right there, and then I think the outsiders will be the the McLaren rookies. So now Alex Rossi in there, that's interesting. Oh, Rossi too. I mean, he's you know he's going to be strong too, and Colton Colton Herder. Yeah, so the two Andretti guys. Too. So uh, yeah. I'm spreading my money far and wide here. Yeah, no, you're spreading it out. But I mean, again, that's the other beauty that uh, we kind of hitting on that right now. The the other beauty of IndyCar. You know, if you're watching F1 and you're getting tired of watching the same four guys battle out for the win each week, then in IndyCar, you know, you can have pretty much anyone on, on the grid can win the race. You know, because it's a spec series, it really comes down to the driver a lot more. Um, you know, there's, there's certain bits that the teams can do to make the cars a bit faster. But ultimately, you know, 
you can make a big difference as a driver. So you just have more more potential to to affect the outcome of the race. Cool. Uh, are you, you going to be there at this race this weekend, or are you? No, no, I won't be there. I'll be watching on TV. It's uh, you know the the uh, obviously with everything going on with uh, the COVID pandemic, um, they're only allowing uh, essentials to be in the paddock uh, or be at the track. So um, it's uh, yeah, it, there's they're not even allowing some photographers photographers uh, to be there. So and they have a restriction of something like. 300, 400 people that can be there. So, no, I won't be uh, won't be there, but uh, we'll be watching live on TV. Can, can I ask how the point system works? Because that's one thing I've never been truly um, certain about in, in IndyCar. Yeah, absolutely. So, in Formula 1, it's 25 points uh, to win, and that goes all the way down to 10th. Um, in, in IndyCar, it's 50 points to win, and that the points go all the way down to last place essentially so it just sort of gradually goes down so everyone's a winner then everyone yeah, gets points everyone gets points obviously you get less points um so you know there is less emphasis on you know trying to you know that that rewarding factor of finishing 10th and getting that last set of points but you know maybe, maybe i think that that should be something that indycar thinks about i think that maybe spice things up but at the same time the championship has always come down to the last last event for like the last three or four years running. So, you know, it, it's not the current point system's not working too badly, I think. So it's double points for Indy, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think they did double points for the last race of the season as well, last year and the year before, um, maybe the year before that as well. But uh, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, you know, even double points for Indy, I'm not sure that's needed either. You know, it, it's... Uh, the the rewarding factor is is winning Indy itself. You know, I don't think it needs the the extra additional points. Is there so? Are you now f- fully versed in IndyCar cars? Is there anything else you want to I ask? Am. No, I, I will, I, I will say you know uh, just uh, to give a bit more insight here, Carl. So, so my, when I first came to America, and you know, uh, you know, so Justin was racing on the ovals, I was racing on the ovals, and my dad just didn't have an appreciation at all for ovals. He's like, but you're just turning left and that's you just turned left a couple of times a lap like you know what what's what's uh why is that impressive like what you know what's the difference like you know why 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 is that uh there's such a difference in you know why is everyone not doing the same times and same speeds etc like that and i said well like, i explained it to him like this i was like imagine let's pick a a really high speed almost flat corner in formula one um would Puan at Spa is that mm-hmm. is that a yeah. good yeah. reference? So it's a left-hander. Yeah, or, or Eau Rouge potentially. Eau Rouge, yeah, um, probably easier flat these days. But you know, pick, pick a corner that's like just flat, but it's only just flat on on new tires, maybe in qualifying. And then you do that corner, and then you have a couple of seconds, and then you do that same corner again. And then you have a couple of seconds, and then you do that same corner again. So you know, you know, so you consisting a circuit of Puan at Spa several times or you know twice a lap and um, you know that that's uh, that's the you know why it gets so intense and you know you're battling all the time and you know if you have a bad car and you you know where it's loose and maybe the the rear end's coming around you know it can be terrifying because you do that same corner <laughs> twice a lap. 
Um, I suppose you've, you've got, got things like um, tire wear and, and brake fade and stuff to take into account as well. Exactly. So, and, you know, you're, you're stuck in there. It's like being stuck in a cage with a tiger, you know, that wants to rip your head off. So, um, you know, this high speeds, uh, you know, what, what uh, you know, makes it pretty, uh, pretty intense. And then, um, you know, there, there's just a lot more. It's not so much the, the driving element. It's the setup and the... Um, engineering side of it you know you're as a driver you're so much more in control of that and your your feedback is just so critical and that's what can make a driver good or bad on, on an oval and i think that's 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 the biggest difference even though we're just turning left a couple of times a lap and even some of the tracks like indian qualifying were flat out you know it, it takes a lot to to improve the car and get it to that state where you can do that and then the race, when you're dealing with dirty air and, and you know, the the um, the, uh, the effects of, of cars being in front of you and, and in traffic and, and being able to time it and it sort of turns into a bit of a chess match, then, you know, that that's what makes it interesting. And, you know, just look look past the, the fact that it's an oval and it's just two, two corners or four corners, depending on the track. Um, and, you know, the, the nuance is what really makes it, it interesting. Yes, no, I, I think it does sound exciting, though. You know, and and almost sends it back to the heyday of like the Brooklands tracks and things like that. That you know, we're all, all along the curve. You know, um, Brooklands. So now, yeah, that was, I mean, uh, I've been to that site and just sort of been there to to see the the uh, what's left of Brooklands, and it's uh, yeah. it's almost eerie, isn't it? You know, the history there. It is. It seems there, yeah. and then it cuts out there's a cutout for where the road goes through and there's you know uh council houses right behind it you're like wow <laughs> this is crazy yeah what rot they ruined yeah. they should have kept as heritage but hey ho yeah um just to summarize just a couple of questions to summarize at the end um in your career so far what would be the thing you are most proud of yeah um i think there's there's three that stand out and i i can't decide which one i mean leading indy late in 2018 was um something i was really proud of um winning the mccann autosport award in 2007 was another another thing but i think probably the most one was probably the win i had in in toronto uh in 2011 just uh it was my first win in america and first win in indy lights and you know it was just a, a great race for me i i i got the um, you know, was able to climb out the car. Justin was was there and um, was able to celebrate with him. So I think that's probably the the proudest um, proudest achievement I've got in my career so far is that one. And so, who would have been the best driver in your opinion you've ever raced against? Oh man, the, 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 all your your questions are so uh, definitive, and I, <laughs> I haven't got a definitive answer. <laughs> that's the know. idea. You know, um, I would, you know. I, I can't pinpoint just one. I, I'm going to give a couple and say that, you know, New Garden, um, racing against him, he was, um, you know, impressive driver. I definitely appreciate his, his, his skill and his, uh, his dedication to the sport. Um, you know, his teammates with Peter Dempsey, he was a great driver as well. Um, race against another guy I have a lot of respect for as a driver and I think, you know, deserved a lot better you know, his career was probably Gabby Chavez and he was a, he was a really uh, competitive driver. Esteban Guerrieri, 
Again, another driver that didn't quite make it all the way, but had the skill for sure. Um, the, probably the best driver that I've shared the track with was probably Scott Dixon. I think uh, he could be, you could put him in a top Formula One team and I think he would be just as competitive um, as I would the, love to see that, actually. I would love to see like, the top guys from Indy have a go in a Formula 1 car and see yeah. what they can do, and, he, and vice versa. He's, he's just the complete package, you know? Like, he, he can put it together on a qualifying stint. He can bring the car home, you know, and save fuel. He, he, he's just a, a, a well-rounded driver, and uh, you don't see often. But then, again, the probably I don't want to sound biased with this, but, you know, being teammates with uh, my brother Justin, you know, that was... Uh, sort of again you know without being biased he was probably one of the best as well you know as a as a just a brother on the outside you know you i believed he was one of the best but then being his actual teammate driving the same car as him and then sharing the same engineering trailer and listen to his feedback it was impressive um to to hear him discuss the the car and and provide feedback i you know, his his feedback was so precise and um, he had so much uh, knowledge and experiences to draw off of to help, you know, make the car better. Um, you know, that was, for me, was um, the best I've, I've seen in that in that department as well. So um, I know Carl's got to go soon, so we'll crack on with the, uh, with, the, with the top fives if you've got time. Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay? Fantastic. Okay, so Carl, do you want to, this is the, um, our best, our favourite races that we've ever watched. So um, Carl's going to start off with his. I'm going to start off. Um, so I didn't realise how much I seemingly followed Carlos Sainz. Um, there's two of them, two of my favourite races have Carlos Sainz in. Um, the first one was the 1995 RAC Rally, which um, is the British Rally um, in 1995. It was the first time I remember seeing Colin McRae um, and Carlos Sainz was ironically in the other Subaru. And it was all about those Subarus. And it was a, they won by 30, um, Colin McRae won the, won the series by 36 seconds which is just an insane amount on a rally circuit, which, wow. you know, uh, 19 stages. And McRae won nine, 16 of those, but that's how Carlos Sainz must have been right on his tail. I mean, I do sort of, I mean, I remember watching it on TV and it was watching them go past loads of big stately homes. And it's so English in the most English way possible. Um, <laughs> but it was still awesome. And I, uh, yeah, I, like, I'm not very good on these this one because I, I this this whole question because I don't remember them exactly the movement move I like Tom will tell you every single move but that was a race that I do remember I, well a series of races that I do remember. Um, Carl has and, an incredibly vague memory. He just remembers yeah. moments of things and never remembers any detail. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, Colin McRae was just phenomenal, and I, I just remember that period of races. And I think I remember Chatsworth for some reason. And him being outside Chatsworth. Um, I'm sure it was um, and race out there. Cool. Okay, so my, my number five um, will be uh, Canada 2011, the longest Formula One race in history. Uh, just the five safety cars. Um, Jensen Button had six pit stops, uh, was last with uh, like 20 laps to go. Um, 
just came through on the on the the dry tires, came through, uh, was in second place on the last lap, and Sebastian Vettel uh, slid slid wide, and he took the lead um, on the last lap to win it after after say colliding with his teammate, having a drive through penalty, taking Alonso out, six pit stops, just an incredible race, four hours long it went on for. So Jesus that that's Christ. that's my number five. Are we, uh, so, are we doing fan? these uh, in order then? So five to one or just... Well, any? you don't have yeah. to. It depends. Okay. Um, I haven't... Yeah. yeah, I'm doing mine in order, but you don't have to. We don't, we don't often do them in order, no. I'll, I'll attempt. Um, so probably my uh, P5 for, for me would be 2009 Watkins Glen IndyCar race. Uh, again, a little bit biased here, but you know, Justin won that race. Um, oh, brilliant. So uh, I remember being there and watching that live and... You know, it was just, uh, it was a restart with like four or five laps to go. Justin had the lead and he was on all the tires. And um, I remember um, the Penske team, you know, saying, oh, we, we're going we, to, we're going to get this, uh, get the, get him on the restart. He's got no chance on the old tires. And, uh, you know, Justin pulled away and, and won the race. And it was the first race for Dale Coin Racing, the team he was racing for in their in existence and that was the 20 25th year that that team was in existence so after 25 years justin was able to get uh dale coin his first win and it was a, a real uh david versus goliath kind of uh race you know uh little dale coin racing team going up against uh chip ganassi racing and, and uh penske so yeah that's probably uh gonna be on, on my top five wow brilliant yeah. um, i my number four, the 2007 TT, Arleman TT, which was the centenary TT race. Um, I was there for this one. I actually saw this race. The, well, I saw the seniors and the sidecar. Um, and it was the most amazing experience I've ever been to. I was down at Glenbine, which is um, one of the straights um, on the TT race, um, in a campsite there. And it was just the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen. And to watch, I mean, to watch sidecars is amazing. But it also, um, one of my favourite personalities, if you will, was Guy Martin. And he came second in two of the races. Um, and it was just phenomenal to be part of and watch. And especially with the hundred, the centenary was just phenomenal. Nice. Fantastic. Well, again, that's that's two wheels. So I, I've got no real, <laughs> uh, no real knowledge on that one. So... Um, okay, so I'll go on my next one then. Um, I don't know where to put my number four. Oh, I'm up between two. Um, I'm going to go for Brazil 2009, another Jensen Button win. Uh, well, not win. Uh, it was uh, he came fifth to win the world championship, and uh, it was just a crazy, crazy race. Um, Kamui Kobayashi making one of his uh, first races, and um, he was just making overtakes left, right, and centre. Jensen Button had to get past him to take the championship, and this guy was like unproven. Uh, and it was just it's such a nerve-wracking race in general um, again f coming from the previous year with Lewis Hamilton winning in similar circumstances to think oh god another British world champion has got to finish fifth at Brazil so it was it was just a great race from start to finish uh, and the right outcome in the end so yeah, that's my number four for a second there I thought you were going to steal one of mine so uh, when you said uh, Brazil so I, I, I'll, uh, I'll jump in there and say 2008 Brazil when uh, you know uh, Hamilton won the world championship right there on the last corner, pretty much. I yeah. mean, 
that was incredible. Um, just uh, what what an amazing set, set of events, and just the true emotion that was on all of their faces. Like every every uh, participant in the in the teams, everything with you know this, the true emotion that was on their faces. You know, with uh, Massa believing he'd won won the championship, yeah. and then that last corner with Glock going wide and uh, Allenton coming through and how it just just you know swinged one way to the other uh, you know one of the best races in the world for sure yeah yeah well you just stole one of mine but i've got plenty of substitutes so i'm going to slot that in later i'm going to slot another one in there i knew i had to, uh, yeah, to no. get in there quick with that one i knew it was yeah gonna, yeah that no that's, well, that's the problem absolutely. you have to get in quick with these ones. <laughs> yeah um, the um we've had a couple where we've me and tom have got the same number ones um yeah. the um, for me, my in third place, uh, the 2006 Dakar. Again, this was one of the first Dakars rallies, and, and it was still in Dakar back then. Um, but it was also the time when, I mean, I was 17, and it was the time when Charlie Borman um, raced in it as well. Uh, Charlie Borman of Ewan McGregor fame and Charlie Borman and Long Way Round. Um, again, uh, Carlos Sainz makes an appearance as well. Uh, he in his VW, the VW that I mentioned the other day, Tom, um, and uh, he came second, uh, but Luke Affland won. Cool. Okay. Right. Um, okay. I'm gonna go um, with Monaco 1992. Um, I've mentioned this a couple of times on podcasts in, in the past. This is actually my first passionate memory of Formula One. So it kind of works out roughly my age there. Um, little 10 year old kid running into the kitchen. Um, just like absolutely um, distraught because Nigel Mansell had lost the lead. And uh, um, I mean, now Edna Senna is my favourite driver of all time. But at the time, I was distraught that Mansell wasn't winning. And uh, just watching those last 10 laps of that race, my earliest, well, it's my second earliest memory of Formula One. Um, but my first memory of it being of, you know, passionate memories of the sport. And that spawned my, my love for the sport. Just those, even now, I would look back at those last five, six laps with Senna and Mansell and those drivers two of the best drivers to ever grace the sport just they had so much respect for each other they drove so cleanly you look at some of the drivers in formula one now and that they would have both retired from the race and ended up in the fence or or in the harbor or something but just those those laps there just showed exactly the talent of those guys so that's why that is the one that i've subbed in for the one that you stole from <laughs> me Stefan. <laughs> yeah, brilliant um so my my third one um it's kind of a bit of a blanket. Um, I think you could pick any race from the last 10 years at the Indy 500 and um, the last 10 laps, are, uh, you know, thrilling. Um, but particularly, I'd say the 2014 Indy 500 or the 2019 Indy 500, you know, we had a dice there between two drivers going for the lead um, with, you know, five or six laps left. You know, particularly 2014, uh, it was incredible. You had uh, Ryan Hunter Ray and uh, Elio Castroneves, and just some of the some of the moves um, that they made, and, and how close they were running to each other. But at the same time, like you were saying there, Tom, the respect they had for each other, and uh, giving each other racing room, whilst going for one of the biggest prizes in racing, I think um, you know was was pretty incredible to watch. And I think you could pick any race from the last decade, and, and they're going to be you know s- similar in. Uh, you know, uh, in spectacle. Yeah, I agree. Completely. Can I, 
Can I cheekily do my next two? Because I need to go. Yeah, no problem. That that no, Sorry. that's fine. Um, I'm going to have to speed through these. Um, the My f uh, fourth one, or second one, depends on which way we're looking at it. I can't remember which way I started. Um, is the 1993 Hungarian Grand Prix, which was actually Damien Hill's first win. And it was my, again, my first memory of a race. Um, obviously, Hungarian Spa. Um no, it's not so far. Hungarian race. Um, it was my first look at Formula One and my first time. And, and I said to you, I didn't remember seeing Senna. I actually do because he was in this race and he retired along with Schumacher and Prost. And it was all a bit of a messy race. And Damon Hill basically just kept his nose clean in the Williams. Mm. Back in the Williams heyday. You know, remember those ones. Oh, yeah. Um, better times. <laughs> better times. Better times. But um, So that's my fourth one and um, my final one um i'm sure one of you've got it and i'm sure it might be tom but the 1982 monaco which i didn't obviously watch live because i wasn't a born then um i was where actually there was only one finisher um although the points were given out but basically and people crossed the line but they all crossed the line with a lap to go um so there was only one finisher which so one on Patrice, one on the lead lap monaco in the rain yeah, yeah. The I think there were four there. classified finishes in that race, but yeah, the yeah. one but on the lap. He won, and then the there was two that ran out of fuel that came second and third um, in that race officially, um, which yeah, because uh, they retired on the last yeah, lap. So, so Peroni and De Cesaris, De Cesaris came out of fuel, and then Nigel Mansell um, and Dionglis were a lap behind. So yeah. Anyway, cool. Um, thank you so much, Stefan. I'm so sorry I've got to run. No worries. Um, Thanks, Carl. Thank you so much me. for for being part of this. It's been brilliant, um, and I look forward to watching uh, Indy this weekend and chatting about it on our next podcast. Uh, Tom, well done. Cheers, mate. Cool. I shall Bye, Carl. speak to you later. Catch you later, Carl. Bye. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Now we've ditched the square. Let's. Uh, <laughs> No. Um, right. So my next one will be um, Monaco 1996, sticking with the Monaco theme. Um, with only three finishes in that race, the Olivier Panis win, uh, David Coulthard second. I think it was Johnny Herbert third. Um, just like three cars retired from the second to last lap. Michael Schumacher crashed out on, on one of the early laps, I think lap four or five, which is always good for a race for me to see Michael Schumacher crash out. Um but uh, yeah, that 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 race just um, just crazy. I mean, Damon Hill going out was a bit of a bummer, but um, seeing uh, getting David Coulthard up onto the podium and uh, Olivier Panis to win his only race, um, great great race for me. Nice. You know, the uh, for me uh, in the second position would be the 2011 Indy 500. Uh, this was a race won by Dan Weldon, and uh, he won it pretty much in the last 100 feet of the, of the race. You know, we had uh, Jerry Hildebrand crashed out in turn four and with only three wheels on his car, kept it lit <laughs> and yeah. tried to get down the front straight to the finish line. I think I, I think I saw that one. I think I remember seeing that one. It, it was an incredible finish because, uh, again, I was there and I remember thinking, well, that's pretty impressive. JR's going to win it in his first year. And even as they crossed the line... I was confused on who had won because it was just such a dramatic finish, you know, to see JR coming down the front straight with literally three wheels on his car oh, and still 
still trying to make it to the line or just keep momentum up so he would cross the line. But uh, Dan Dan passed him on uh, during that and, and took the win, which was yeah. just pretty special, obviously. Yeah. What, what happened later that year, just uh, pretty special for Dan to get his second Indy, Indy yeah. 500. You might know, I'll just ask this question now, you might know this. Why is it that they drink milk at the end of the 500? It's a tradition that started back in, uh, I want to say the late 30s, um, when Louis Meyer, he uh, got out of the car after winning and uh, asked for a cold glass of uh, buttermilk. So it's not just regular milk, it's like extra creamy or, or something like that. I've never drank it. And, uh, you know, the, the dairy association saw that and decided, hey, we want that to be a tradition. So... That's how it started, and every year since, the, the winner has drank, drank milk. I have to admit, I think the, um, the Dan Weldon win was the first time I, um, I saw the 500, and oh, I yeah. just remember thinking, um, okay, they're going to go to the podium now and spray the champagne, and he's just pouring <laughs> this milk. I was like, what's going on? Definitely a bit, uh, bit different than uh, the European traditions of champagne, but you yeah. know, again, once you sort of embrace that tradition, uh, you know, it's uh you would relish that that glass of milk for sure yeah so my number one then um would be um belgian grand prix in spa in 1998 um well known for the massive pile up yep. on the first lap uh caused by david coulthard one of my favorite drivers fantastic <laughs> cheers for that dc um and then um i didn't actually see it live i was working in a pub at the time uh as a as a pot washer and um, I and I was trying to stay away from the result at work, and uh, and, I, and I rushed home, and I got home, and I walked into my parents' house, and they said, "Oh, who won?" And they said, "It's still going on." I was like, "What do you mean it's still going on?" They had like a three-hour stoppage or something for the for the pileup, wow. and then on the restart, um, we lost we lost a couple more drivers on the restart, and then Schumacher went in the back of Coulthard. Um, taken out and had to drive on the rest of the lap on on three wheels. Went into the pits and wanted to wanted to punch David's lights out. Um, <laughs> and then in the end, it was a it was a Jordan one two with Damon Hill followed by Ralph Schumacher. Just the race just had everything. That's a Fantastic good race. that's a good choice out there for sure. Yeah. I uh, I remember wa- I remember watching that. Just uh, the, it was all, it was you know how how much rain it was at the start and everything like that. It was definitely mm. one of those typical spa races for sure. Yeah. So. Honorable mentions uh, would be Brazil 2016, the Max Verstappen one, uh, uh, where he drove through. Japan 98, um, where Hakkinen won his first championship. Singapore 2017 um, was just a great race. Um, Baku 2016 in F2 was just a mental, mental race. And uh, Britain 2008, Hamilton's. Hamilton's absolutely meteoric drive. There were just a few that I came up with on my way home from work earlier. Yeah, great, great choices there. You yeah. know, definitely. I think the Baku races have been uh, been some of the you know really exciting. Just uh, mm. the combination of having the you know the tight, really tight street course uh, type corners and then that long straight produces uh, some exciting overtaking opportunities coming into turn one. So, absolutely. You know, uh, that that's uh, a good one you noted. I think my. Uh, Number one would be uh, two wheels here, Valentino Rossi versus uh, Casey Stoner at Laguna Seca in 2008. Um, I remember watching that as a kid and just, uh, or not as a kid, I should say, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> feels like a kid. It's been that long yeah, ago, yeah. but uh, it, it was just a, an absolutely incredible race watching two guys go hammer and tong at each other and, you know, 
there was a lot of a lot of uh, close calls that could have easily taken them both out of the race, and and they managed to keep it clean for the most part. And uh, you know, Valentino uh, came out on top in the end. I mean, Casey Casey Stoner was the faster of the two riders, and and had the faster and had the faster bike, and Valentino essentially was in a position where he needed to keep the lead in order to have a chance of winning. So every time that Casey came by him, he, he just threw it in there, no, no matter how far back he was, and somehow managed to get it stopped and, and get through the corner. So I think for me, that that is number one. I mean, if you got a chance to to Google that and, and watch the last couple, of, or watch highlights, it's I, I well recommend it. Worth, worth, uh, it's well worth your time, I, I recommend it. I definitely will. I mean, I always find that um, I don't find motorbike racing exciting. I find it terrifying. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's why I don't tend to watch it. I mean, I was um, I used I tried to watch it for a couple of seasons, and I picked the driver to follow. Um, and unfortunately, that rider was um, was Marco Simicelli. And then oh. the next race I watched, he died. So um, I uh, <laughs> then suddenly like I'm not sure I want to watch this. Yeah, Mar- um, Marco so, was a um, great rider too. I remember the the long hair. Yeah, yeah. So. So that's our top fives. Um, thank you so much for joining in on that. It's really good of you. And I think that probably we've overrun it a little bit, so I'm sorry about that. No um, worries. Just really just want to say good luck for the uh, for the rest of the season. Hope you get into the Indy. Um, and uh, when you come back and you win the 500, uh, will you come back on here and tell us all about it? Absolutely. Yeah, deal. <laughs> Fan- well, uh, no, thanks for having me, Tom. And um, yeah, I appreciate the time and uh, being able to uh, talk to you guys and uh, hopefully educate you a little bit about... Uh, about IndyCar racing and some of the differences. Yeah, you've definitely done that. Thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. Have a good day, Tom. Cheers. Cheers. And jump cut. Jump cut. There right. we go. We're okay. back. Well, no, well, I'm back. Yeah, I'm <laughs> back as away. well. I'm back as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I, I left really early in a, in a quick, oh, my God, I've got to go. Um, so, I, I mean, that is really interesting. Um, although I'm spread betting, seemingly. Yeah, from yeah. <laughs> from Stefan's suggestions uh, who should I follow everyone <laughs> yeah at the moment there's there's four that I well I, I, I heard four but I think he actually mentioned a couple more about yeah it. he did um, um, so I'm well spread betting Scott Dixon I think um, is where my money is yeah uh, Joseph Newgarden, you can't look past him, given that he's um, he's. Although the... Scott Dixon's complaining about the tires. Yeah, he's the um, Joseph Newgarden's the current series champion, so he's you can't look past him. Um, Alexander Rossi um, will be the person I'll be uh, I'll be putting my one pound fifty on. I, um, I won the one pound fifty on Askew as well. I yeah, well, um, yeah, Oliver Askew um, and the uh, just the McLaren team in general so shock horror Tom mentions McLaren uh, yeah no, I'll be no, I'll be yeah Pato, Pato Award and Oliver Askew will be the two that um, that I'll be I'll be cheering for um, Rossi will be the one that I'll be betting on um, mm. and um, Max Chilton if he still races in Indy will be the one I'll be laughing at because he's useless um I didn't realise Max Chilton was even in it. Yeah, well, he was. I'm not sure if he is anymore. I didn't see him on the roster, to be honest, when I looked the other day. So maybe he's not on it anymore. I know that Marcus Ericsson's still in there. And Marcus Ericsson is one of the worst Formula 1 drivers in history. So, Um, anyway. Yeah. I I mean, that is interesting. I mean, talking about Formula 1 races in uh, Indy, I see Zach Brown's come out and said not many F1 races could do both, like, massive. 
Well, it did make me laugh um, a while back when uh, Alonso did his first run at Indy. Alonso, sorry, I said Massa. Yeah, when Alonso did his first run at Indy and he qualified in fifth position, um, your favourite person, Lewis Hamilton, came out in the press and said, oh, well, Indy must be really easy if Fernando can qualify fifth there on his first ever attempt. Um, (laughs) And I was just thinking, well, hang on. Lewis Hamilton qualified third in his first Formula One race, so Formula One must be even easier if that's the case. <laughs> so I'm just like, Lewis, check yourself before you break yourself. Think about what you're saying. Not bad. Um, anyway, but yeah. Once again, anyway, this is, this is. I mean, I am excited by Indy. I don't know anything about it. Um, the aero screens look really cool. The cars look really cool. They're almost space age. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some highlights from it and actually talking about some motorsport that's actually happened and not the news about who's in which team. Yeah. Um, which I really couldn't care less about in some ways. Yeah. I really enjoyed. Um, um, I really enjoyed Stefan's top five. The um, the races that he picked. They were um, they were really interesting. Uh, I I missed the last two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, his his top one was was motorbike. So you'll quite enjoy that. It was um, oh, 2000. I'm going to have to listen. Yeah. I'm gonna, weirdly, I'm going to have to. I, I haven't actually. So Tom does all the editing, and I haven't actually listened to the final cut of Stefan's. Unless you think it sounds crap, in which case Carl does it. Yeah, no, Tom, it's all Tom. It's all Tom, the editing. Um, On a shoestring budget as well. Well, we've done quite well with nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. I bought a headset, um, and that's it. That's all we've I, done. I need to buy a headset. That's yeah, it. you do. And that's my next investment i'm gonna do that oh um, wow that was a nice annoying noise there what noise i got a big buzz mm. Mm. okay yeah well, maybe we do need to buy some more equipment yeah um yeah so if you want to sponsor us and provide it with podcasting equipment then please do so um, yes yeah cool anyone, so um next week we're going to be recording a day later um we're going to be recording wednesday so you'll probably be getting getting this either wednesday evening or thursday instead of tuesday evening um hoping to still get it out wednesday evening but um work means I work a little later on Wednesday so we may not um, yeah so we're also going to um, top fives we're going to drop to top threes because uh, the podcasts are lasting a little bit too long so as we're going into a, a race season now uh, we're going to drop the top fives to top threes because um, just, to, just to save a little bit of time um, and uh, yeah so next week's top three uh, we are going to do um, top three motorsport helmet designs how many can I find without a visor? <laughs> yes, I won that argument. I'm happy about that. So anyone who listened no. to the podcast that came out on Tuesday, uh, me and Carl were debating whether or not you would need to have a, uh, a visor on the uh, underneath the aero screen, and I won that yeah, well, one. Yeah, well, Stefan, yeah, Steph, I, I, if you've got to this point of the of the the thing, you know that Steph, what Stefan's version is. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, a viewers on that, I believe him. Um, but I'm gonna find some. I'm gonna find all of them without visors, just to wind you guys up. Go for it. Fine. Please, if you rally car tour. If you want to send in pictures of your favourite helmet designs through history, uh, feel free through uh, at Monkey Seat Pod on all the socials, uh, Monkey Seat Podcast at Gmail dot com. Um, you can't send in pictures, but you can contact us through the website um, Monkey Seat Pod dot com. Um, We'd love to see your uh, love to see your suggestions and why you think they're so great. Uh, all of Tom's going to be McLaren. I am going to attempt. That's the question. I am going to attempt to do a top three and not mention a single McLaren helmet design. That's going to be my target. 
Well, at least it's only top three, not top five now. Yeah. Makes it slightly easier. Yeah, it's going to be difficult though because I love Aiden Senna's helmet design, so that's going to be tough. <sighs> but yeah. Anyway, that's fine. That's for next week. So we'll uh, we'll yeah. think of that. Um, nothing else. I don't think we need to mention at the moment. So should we uh, should we wrap it up there? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have a good week, and I shall speak to you later. See you all next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.